Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to The Big Interview, season 2017-2018. Before this starts, a brief announcement. This season, we're inviting our listeners to join The Big Interview Members Club. In Spanish football, they call them socios members. They are the lifeblood of the club, de facto owners, and they get special treatment in return. That's how this will work too. Here is everything you can get if you choose to become a socio of the big interview for £2.99 a month. You get one extra exclusive big interview episode. No one except the socios will hear this. Join now and you'll get Raphael van der Vaart. David Silva. That's it's a joy to watch. Yeah, that's a joy. That goes away, the real number 10s. Mm. Because you have to be like Pogba, big player, strong, box to box. And I think when you have still players like, like me, like uh, Silva, Schneider, Iniesta, mm. I think that's why you're going to buy a ticket. Yeah, for sure. And me too. You get a brand new weekly show. We call it The Big Inside View, where I'll give you my take on what I've learned, seen, or heard. Over the past seven days in football, socios will also receive bonus shows during the season, including question and answer specials around big events like Classicos. All that for £2.99 a month. Less than a pint, less than the price of your favourite football magazine, less than a match day programme. Go to patreon.com slash Graham Hunter to join us, to sign up now, to make this happen. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Join us. Make the big interviews bigger. How's that? Now, <laughs> I've gone into every big interview knowing that football was going to be the main topic of conversation. It's principally why you all listen to this podcast, right? But there have been times when I've spoken to a guest who talked just as passionately about cricket, so much so that we've dedicated a special clip show to the sport. We begin with, perhaps, the most talented cricketer to have featured amongst our guests, Philip Neville. Phil was facing fastballs and Yorkers, delivered by some recognised international players, when he was just eight years old. He did live to tell a tale, and that's why he's on the big interview. He was brilliant about football, about society, about education, about challenges, but he's fabulous and funny about cricket. A young... Matthew Letizia, remember him, was also considered to be a skilled wicketkeeper and a prodigious batsman. He grew up idolising Ian Beefy Botham. Why wouldn't you? Had Matt not been a pretty capable footballer too, then he might well, like Phil, have made it as a fully-fledged 
England professional in cricket. Phil also describes the mental toughness that he saw in the Australian cricketers he played with and explains how that helped him in his football career. While Chris Sutton argues that batsman is the most psychologically demanding role in all sport. Final word? Well, Jamie's not here, so Gary Neville gets it. It was a touching moment for me as he paid tribute to the late, great cricketer and cricket commentator, Australian captain, Australian television legend, Richie Benno. Enjoy. So now that we're finally in, in God's own country, not Spain, overlooking the, the, the canal, with Old Trafford in the background, yeah. your hotel. Let's do the not obvious thing, and like we did with your brother, start with cricket, please. Yeah. Um, because um, nobody ever believes that Scots My are cricket fan. My favourite sport. Well, I, I'm a massive <laughs> cricket fan, and I know you were also very good at it. Yeah. But the book, Class of 82 out of our league, details some outstanding stories. Yeah. People know you could play. But just tell us a little bit, for, for those outside Lancashire, the north of England, where semi-professional leagues flourish yeah. and teach you, just tell a little bit about your background growing up, the fact that your dad mm. was a good cricket player too. Yeah. How did you and Gary get involved in it, and what exactly were they getting you involved in? In, in back, what, 30, 30 years ago, you could play cricket in the summer. Cricket in the summer, football in the winter, they didn't overlap. So my dad was, watch Man United in the winter, play cricket in the summer and when we say play cricket we, he played Saturday, Sunday we watched under 13 Sunday morning under 18s Monday, Wednesday under 15s Thursday practice nights was Tuesday, Thursday so it was every night of the week a real community club feel. it was a community club my dad worked within the cricket club because it was volunteered uh, along with his other job my mum did the tees yeah. the tees is when obviously one, one side's back 50 overs after 50 overs you have an half an hour break my mum prepared the sandwiches because she worked as a caterer so it was all hands on deck. My grandma and granddad, my cousin, my auntie and uncle were all involved in the, in the cricket club. It was, it was sort of like back in those days where there was no nightclubs, no fancy bars. You went to your legion, you went to your social club, you went to your cricket club. And, and ours was Greenmount Cricket Club. And when people asked me about my success at football, cricket was the reason I was successful at football. Because at 10 years of age, 8 years of age, I was playing with men. Cricket is a game where you've got to concentrate. Cricket's a game where you, you take a lot of hits. The fact that I was playing with men and practicing with men and mixing with men saw, saw our cricket club had some of the best cricket professionals that you could, you could wish for, Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor, who captained the, the best Australian captain, yeah. you know, alongside Alan Border, Jamie, Jamie Siddons, who played for Victoria. We had Matthew Hayden. One of the biggest one opening of the hitters of all yeah, time. one of the best who stayed at our house. Franklin Stevenson, great all at West Indian all-rounder. Yeah. Played for Nottinghamshire, scored 1,000 runs and 100 wickets for Nottinghamshire. So these were great cricketers in our league. In the, in the Lancashire leagues, we had all the top Australians. You're talking Jeff Lawson. Marsh uh, came at yeah, one stage. Shane Warne. Shane Warne came over. The Australians came to England, the War Brothers. The War Brothers played for Edgerton in, in our league. Australians, particularly at cricket, have, have an unbelievable mentality. They're not scared. You know, if they see a bull in front of them, they attack that bull straight away and they take on a challenge. And that attitude, I was brought up with that attitude. You know, Mark Taylor, Matthew Hayden was, you know, it was one day we played a cricket match at Bradshaw. It, it was raining. They'd batted. They'd batted for ages. We got into bat. There was only 15 overs left. We needed 200. And we came in. It was like, nah game over and he said we're going to win this he went out there first ball six second ball four and it was that attitude of every, anything's possible and I ended up opening the batting with him 
Mark Taylor and his wife Judy and the family still lifelong friends and you're talking about someone that was a great great opening batter you know not Matthew Aiden who would go in there he would concentrate for long hours he would fight you know what I mean and, and he, these were lessons that I learned from professional players you know what I mean See, the, the, my mind's already just literally exploding with questions because yeah. before we get to the Australian element in which I'm totally interested let, let's clear up something that maybe everybody who's experienced the semi-pro leagues that you're talking about know but the rest of the world doesn't if you're in there batting you or Gary at 11-12 which mm-hmm. is a nonsensical age 13-14 yeah. the guys who's semi-professional living that is mm. the locals not the hired guns they're bowling at you to, to take your wicket. They're, they don't Full, care if, yeah, they, if it's whizzing by your head. Or no. Not. There ain't no quarter given. Am I right? It's 100% and they want you out just as much as anyone else. They don't come off a short and run. They don't, they don't bowl slower just because it's a young lad. They actually bowl quicker because mm. they don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. And, and the fact is, is that half the time you're probably batting down at number nine half the time you don't get a ball half the time you're fielding down at third man long leg and and doing the drinks when it's time for drinks when somebody scores a 50 you go around with a hat to collect money for the drinks after the game these these are experiences that I found invaluable I I played against Otis Gibson when I was it says in the book 14 was actually 11 or 12 and literally was coming off his full run after two or three balls he came in and just dollared it up and then when, you know, he couldn't get me out, full run, bouncing. And, and you're talking about no helmet, you know what I mean? You're talking about proper test, proper challenge, you know what I mean? You and have to have your eye in, you've got to be, you're going to win a duck, when to move. And you, hey, you're also in there to play the ball when you can. You've got to be able to play cricket. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be able to survive. Yeah. And, and, and that is sometimes surviving by hook or crook. That's getting out of the way, putting your pad in the way, ducking verbals coping with sledging you know people say about five years ago they said oh sledging's unbelievable well come play in the Bolton League when you're 11 year old and they say no oh, this little whippersnapper's in oh, did they use the word whippersnapper probably not yeah that, that, was, that was what I was I was, always the, I was always the whippersnapper you know what I mean <laughs> and uh, <laughs> fantastic fantastic education and if you think about it then when you go down and play say Lancashire under 11s it, 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 it was like playing with a tennis ball because yeah. it was so easy. Yeah. Because you was playing, you was playing Otis Gibson on the Saturday Sunday, going playing with under 11s. It, it was like it was like a stroll in the park. So did England lose a very good wicketkeeper? I was all right as a wicketkeeper. No, no, no <laughs> I was a better batsman. I need more. De- ah, I, I need more details. What you don't know is that the very first podcast that we did was Gary Neville, and we talked cricket because Richie Benno had just died, and we were both touched and, and affected by a truly great mm. man, great cricketer, great captain, great commentator, great man. I think you could go so far as to say we were really yeah. moved by his yep. departure. Mm. And uh, we talked a little bit of cricket and some other ones, but we ended up with Phil Neville, who was facing West Indian pacemen in the Lancashire Semi Pro League, aged 10 11. At his mum and dad's insistence, <laughs> without a helmet. Wow! Oh, it's Gibson. Impressive. It was, and and therefore cricket is something I've always loved. So I'm interested. If you're a better batsman, I'd like to know about it. I remember that John Arlott, one of the great voices I grew up, ended up living down by you in, in the Channel Islands. Yeah. So from cricket, I want to know about Guernsey and growing up and and what sport in the Channel Islands yeah, was I like for you that. then. But tell me a bit about cricket. I loved my cricket as well. Probably. Back in those days, it was, it was probably only very close behind football. Goodness me. Yeah, very close. I had a good eye, I had good coordination, so I had good eye hand coordination. I saw the ball really well uh, when I batted. I think the wicket had been helped as well because I'd keep wicket. I was the captain of the team, so uh, when we won the toss, 
I'd always field first so that I could keep wicket and I'd get my eye in while I was keeping mm-hmm. wicket and then go out and open the bat from ball one. My, my eye was in. And so I, sc- I had some really good scores. I made my first century when I was 13 or 14. And I think my top score in a 2020 evening league game was about 164, I think. Playing, I presume, with, with all different ages? And- well, I played, I played Guernsey under-18s when I was 15. So I kind of grew up playing only a year or two around around my age but the batting side of things I found came quite easy to me Ian Botham was my hero as, as a boy uh-huh. Ian Botham was my Glenn Hoddle <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's how I wanted to bat I think if, if you if you talk about cricketers for me it'd be Viv Derek Randall at the time Derek Randall was brilliant just, fielder. yeah so I couldn't believe what he could do with it. and also like we started a chat like wherever he whether he took his wicket when he came up with the ball and <laughs> playing with a smile and maybe happy to watch yeah, him yeah. Very much so. Very uh, like a comic book hero was uh, he was just incredible. But then, so are you. If you think about it, I mean, I grew up watching or reading Billy's Boots in whichever it was, Bean or that. And and Billy was at that stage. I just thought this was just like made up. It can't be true. It turns out that <laughs> there were people all over the big interview podcast series who were doing the same. Because Phil, that was explained to us how he was captain of England schoolboys playing against Australia. Yeah, and he had amazing. to choose yeah. between blah blah blah. Oh yeah, he was at a much higher level than I ever was. Well, it doesn't really. sound like it. So, I, well, I, I, did, I, did you have a choice at a stage personally? I, I don't mean if I if I I got offered obviously an apprenticeship at Southampton when I was six. 16. Yeah. Had I not been offered an apprenticeship or had after my apprenticeship I'd been released, my next uh, attempt at a job would have been to have been a cricketer. Hampshire? Hampshire was my, my nearest county, so it would have been, I would have tried to have gone to it. And then the little yeah. time you have as a professional, who did you watch down at Hampshire that, that really struck you? That made Robin you Smith you? down at Hampshire. Watching him, I think, was to another type of bravery, I suppose, watching Robin. Because of the way he batted? Because of the way he batted, he was kind of real, quite aggressive, quite mm-hmm. swashbuckling. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that would stand there, uh, you know, watched him bat against the West Indian fast bowlers of that era, which were just, I dread to think what it was like facing those boys. But he was doing it and he'd take them on. You know, he had just, I think watching Robin Smith square cut a ball off of a, 90 mile an hour delivery was, was something pretty special. I'm speculating here, but having watched your enjoyment of the spotlight and your dealing with pressure, mm. had you progressed your cricket, I, I think you'd have probably tried at least to treat the West Indian bowling in that way. Oh, I would have had I, a go, yeah, I would have had a go. That was kind of the way I was as a sportsman. Any kind of sport that I took on, I wanted to do it, but I wanted to do it in style. I didn't just want to be okay at it. I wanted to do something that people would go... Ooh, even now I can you know, have a game of table tennis with my, with my mates and we'd rally for a few shots and, all, and then I'd have to try the big <laughs> top spin forehand and the, the flick and I just, I just wanted to do everything with a bit of panache really Life's for enjoying Absolutely Even on a budget quality is non-negotiable That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's talk about the Australian sporting identity because yeah. it probably wasn't simply the cricket 
that gave you the armory to become a successful professional footballer. It was that Australian sporting mentality. One of the things, again, we've both learned is that the great football coaches that we look at at the Mariner, let's take Guardiola for a moment. Yeah. They're magpies, jackdaws. They steal from other parts of sport all the time. Yeah. And, and wouldn't you agree that in Australia there is a general sporting mentality, irrespective of the event or the mm. discipline, that we could learn from in terms of mental resilience, planning, toughness, teaching kids how to confront well, challenges? The Australians are an unbelievable... They have an unbelievable attitude for me. I'm best friends with Tim Cale. Tim Cale is a prime example of someone that, no disrespect, probably hasn't got that much ability. No disrespect... Is he good on the floor? Is he good technically? No, but I tell you what, he's determined, he's mm-hmm. driven, he's got ambition, he mm-hmm. fights, he's got the core values. You know, the best coaches in life, I always think, are your parents. Mm-hmm. They're the best coaches in your life, and they instill the foundations in your life. I think Australians have got the foundations that my parents had. Yeah. You know, the hard work, the attitude, the discipline, the characters, the, the professionalism, the will to win, the, the will to succeed. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. All those powerful words that you see on dressing rooms nowadays that I think are a lot of rubbish. If you try and manufacture discipline and all that rubbish, no, that's, in, that's ingrained in your stomach, that. That's yeah. ingrained in your stomach. And Australians have it ingrained in their culture, not just in one or two people, in their culture. It's everywhere around you. If your parents everywhere. aren't sporting, but you are, your neighbour, your brother, the guy in the shop, everybody will be on you about it, victory. It, I, I always say it's, don't want to sound disrespectful, but... Kick your granny, kick your granny yeah. to get that goal, kick yeah. your granny to win a game. You know, they have that, I'm going to win, and it's win at all costs. You know what I mean? And it's not by cheating, no. it's just win, win. And the likes of Pep and Jose and Klopp, Allegri at Juventus, you know, these, these have that feeling. It doesn't matter what front of house face you see, no. or the jokes, or the style, no. or the elegance. No. In behind, it's win Still. at any cost win. other than cheating. Win. I mean, yeah. you see Jose this year, what's he done at Man United? I've seen so far. Forget what's gone on the field. One, he's brought winners into the football club. Yep. Ibrahimovic wants to win, not only on the field, he wants to win in training, he wants to win off the pitch, he wants to be the best. Man United are one of the best they need to win. Jose now speaks like a winner. He looks like a winner. Mm -hmm. He speaks, we want to win. First day in the club, I want to win all four trophies. This club, you've got to dream the unexpected. The fans want to be excited. They want to win. Mm -hmm. Jose wants to win, and, and by talking like a champion, that spreads to the culture of the football club, and that's the biggest thing that he's changed so far. Where, where, because we're going to come back to football. Where, where is cricket giving you, apart from that foundation, the greatest joy? Mm. 2005, that extraordinary Ashes series. Yeah. Have you ever... Lancashire? Because presumably you grew up in Wazimakram, Atherton, Fairbrother times. Jesus, as we say in Well, When's it giving you your greatest joy, apart from playing? The Ashes were fantastic, but in terms of my own personal, I captained England at 15. Uh, I captained England at 15, I captained England at 14. I was playing cricket for England against West Indies. I had to miss the third test to go and have a trial for England at football. And then after my trial for England at football, I went back to play the fourth and fifth test against West Indies. And I did not want to leave and miss the second test. I went to the football I remember it so vividly. It was, it was an unbelievable experience. It was at Warwick University. My dad dropped me off. I was there for five days. I cried my eyes out every day. My dad came down on the third day because I'd rung my mum and said, I want to go and play cricket. Yeah. And my dad turned up. He said, look, I think you should stay and see out the week. You know, you, it's an unbelievable opportunity. In three months' time, you're going to be playing at Wembley for England schoolboys. Mm-hmm. And if you leave now, 
you might forgo that opportunity. I stayed, cried the rest of the week. He picked me up on the Friday night. We went straight down to Peterborough to Arundel, played against West Indies the day after. At that moment in time, cricket was my only sport. Cricket was my only sport because socially, I met so many nice people. Mm -hmm. It had a different feeling than football. Football, it's 90 minutes, you go off home with your parents. Cricket was... It's much more integration. Integration, it's... Eight hours in the day. Yeah, yeah. It's family orientated. People, my, all my family sitting around the edge. Afterwards, you'd stay overnight in a hotel. You'd be in Somerset. You'd be in Newcastle. You'd be in Darlington. I met so many great. You people. learn your country as well, don't you? you? The beauty of the country, the different accents, the different attitudes around definitely. the country. That's something that I think. Because you would go into a professional career where, <laughs> no matter where you've stopped off, you've got no time in Istanbul or Rio or whatever. Education wise my parents had to go in and see the teachers because they were worried I was missing a lot of school and my father who was against me giving up cricket to, to have more school my mum was all he needs an education he said mm-hmm. look he's getting an education by travelling throughout the country he's meeting different people socially he's living life experiences that will stand him in good stead and to be fair to the geography teacher I, I got an A in geography purely and simply because I travelled the world and I knew countries I knew capitals I was the best at locating places so it was an education as well and, but socially cricket gave me far more than football the, the players were nicer mm-hmm. do you know what I mean you yeah. play cricket after game forget football there's hatred and at the time I, I preferred the, uh, the cricket what happened you can't Leave our audience hanging. What happened in the Ashes, in the, in the Junior Ashes? You, you go to Peterborough, what stage was the Test Series at well, when you go we, we were down one, to Arundel? We were 1-0 up. They lost when I went away, and, and we ended up winning the Ashes Series. West Indies weren't great. West Indies were no different than the senior West Indian team. Unbelievable ability, no technique. Went in there, tried to hit the first ball for six. The fastest opening ball would try and bounce and knock your head off first ball. It was that type. Nobody wore a helmet, nobody wore a thigh guard. It, they were just fantastic natural cricketers but at that age no direction no teamwork no field settings you know what I mean we were a lot more we had a good team we had Flintoff Chilton Solanke who played for Warwickshire oh, we had yeah. Colin Vikram, no? Vikram Solanke yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Collinwood oh, uh, we, we, we had a fantastic team who what five or six went on to play county cricket we're not going to get mean? football fitted in here no what did Neville why did Neville when it comes to going to Warwickshire Warwick to do the England trial when you're, you're captaining yeah. England cricket why did he say no take one of the tests off go and play football what was governing his logic that rather than geez, if you're in that company yeah. if things go to plan yeah. you're winning the Ashes in 2005 it, well in all honesty yeah no well, because my dad thought I could do both my dad was unbelievable he, he, he would take everything on let's do everything you know play cricket in the summer for England play football in the winter so he knew I was good at both of them and he did not want me to give up anything. And that's what he's been like with us all our life. No, do it all. Do it all. And then when, when you're 60-odd, sit back and say, I did everything. Yeah. No regrets. You know, and that's what he said that week. He said, look, I can take you home now. I said, because if I don't take you home, your mum will divorce me. <laughs> so I said, he said, but I've been speaking to Gary and he thinks you should stay. I said, yeah, he would. He's at home. He's at home having hot pot. Do you know what I mean? But, King of the castle. Yeah, because... He said, we think you should stay. It was one of those moments i never forget. I was, in, I was sat in a dormitory in Warwick University and I just cried my eyes out for five days. I actually played well at the football. I just wanted to be my mates playing cricket. Because I was an opening batter. I was, that was my destiny. The amazing thing is at Norwich, unlike a lot of cities which, uh, which I've been to, in my view, is most of the people do support mm. the local club. It's a, it's a one, one club 
County. It's the only uh, club in the county. Their nearest rivals are, are Ipswich, which is sort of a, a fair bit away, 45. Ooh, I don't know if you're allowed to mention them. 40, 45 miles. <laughs> and I had a, had a great time here. But the funny thing is I was released by Norwich when I was sort of 12 years old. I went on a, on a trial and I never, I never really ex- expected to get taken on the second time because I'd had, I'd had the rejection. There was a, uh, a centre of excellence, as, as they were mm-hmm. called then. I went down for a trial for a couple of months I have to say, I didn't like the rejection mm. at all. And I started to take cricket more seriously. Mm. And I used to just play football locally and for, for uh, my school. But I actually took cricket a, a little bit more seriously. I, you know, I'm not saying I was a brilliant cricketer, but I was good when I was younger. And uh, I played for the county. And I played a level up from the county, which was um, for the Midlands in a festival called the Bunbury, Bunbury Festival. Oh, yeah, famous, yeah. Um, but then I... I sort of learned extremely quickly that there were other boys there who were far better technically. And, you know, boys like um, Mal Loy, I think, who played yeah. county cricket, Jeremy Snape. This was your generation? This was my generation, yeah. Wow. You know, I, I have to say it was, a, it was an eye-opener because even though I was scoring a lot of runs at county level, I could see that technically these boys were a lot better in short, I couldn't play the short ball, which which was you know, as you go up the levels, people find you out, and uh, you know, technically or psychologically, you could uh, technically. Uh-huh. I think you know through coaching. I mean, sort of the old old school coaching was they were obviously coached differently and better than me, and you know, far more natural uh, probably. But you know, I used to be a bit of a, a front front foot dogger. Okay. <laughs> Get on the front. Not a Chris Tavares. They're slightly more yeah. adventurous than yeah. You. And, and, you know, so I'm, you know, you get up to the to the higher echelons of the level, and this would have been uh, it was an under fifteen festival. Yeah, and I was sort of found out. For those for those who, who because you're now fourth um, on our series, who's spoken passionately about cricket, and I love my cricket. Started with Gary Neville and and, and the. The death of a, of a great commentator, um, Richie Benno, and we talked about that and tried to move it towards Gary's own analytical commentary skills. Malik um, Tissi was a very, very, very talented yeah. cricketer, but probably the most talented cricketer we've spoken to so far was Phil Neville, whose stories were you know, extraordinary about facing a West Indian paceman mm. aged about 12 in a full Lancashire grown-up league with... Um, his dad's permission, his mum sort of pushing the door and saying, don't be a softy, go and do it. Yeah. But for those who don't know cricket that well, when you see the short ball, just physically what does that mean that a bowler's doing to, towards the batsman in the wicket? Uh, well, he, he, he's, he's bowling a lot shorter, so, you, you know, you play for your front foot or your back foot predominantly. I mean, the best, actually, uh, when, when I moved back and finished football, uh, I played a bit of cricket lo- uh, locally mm-hmm. and I had a, uh, a player who played for Sri Lanka who, who proed for the club who came to stay with us he was called Ravi Pushpakamara a good Sri Lankan name I think he played 24 tests he was a bowler but he, 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 he coached my, uh, my my eldest two sons to play and he, he always used to say that, that you know the, the best batsmen you know they could they could see the uh, the length mm-hmm. of the ball instantly you know, they could see the length, which, you know, was the difference between, a, you know, a, a top 
quality batsman and uh, you know a pretty mediocre one. So that you know because the short ball know. it comes in and bounces yeah, and in and around the, the old uh, Adam's apple. And I think that to be honest, I think people think that cricket. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of sort of people who play football and rugby think that cricket is a game for softies. Uh, and uh, you know, I can tell you from my own experiences that you know. It's uh, it, it certainly isn't, and if a ball's hurtling down you at, uh, at eighty, ninety miles an hour, you don't. You know, if you if you you don't see it, <laughs> then it's a, it's a major problem. So at the top level, these players, are, their reaction skills, yeah. are, you know, an ability to to play the ball late. I mean, it's just you know, it's, it's astonishing, astonishing reaction. And nerve, because you ever lose your nerve in that instance. Okay, Absolutely. your technique can bail you up, but if your nerve goes up on top, top level now yeah. and that ball is fizzing around, then you may as well just walk away. Yeah, and uh, you, know, you talk about a game psychologically, certainly as a batsman in cricket, and, and you know, you can, people compare all sports, but that is, that is probably, in terms of brutality mm. you can have bad luck with a decision you, mm. you can get caught out brilliantly you can be in a bad run, run form so psychologically and people talk about psychological elements of of all sports but that's that's you know a, a, a batsman where you're supposed to score runs i mean that that's probably the you know the, the toughest sport position in sports psychology it's high noon it, it's it's, it's a mean yards. bowler one-on-one, on one, yeah. except the batsman doesn't rotate quite as much as you, every over, you know, that a new mean-faced bowler is going to come in and be pinging that thing down at you or try to trick you with spin. But it's pure... When that ball's being delivered, it's real yeah. 1v1, not 11... Yeah, not an 11 man sport in that, but, when the, on the wicket. But the biggest thing is you have one chance in bat. Mm. Where, where at football... You miss an opportunity, you can get another no, chance, so, uh, and and that's and that's the difference. And there may be a variety of reasons why. You know, mm. at, at, at the top level, and I, you know, I watch a lot of cricket. At the, at the top level, people get a chance in the in the test team, and they can be in for two tests, four innings, mm. be caught out by a brilliant catch, mm. uh, get a brilliant ball. Someone else can go in and, and be dropped twice and make a hundred. You mm-hmm. know, the the margins uh, at that, and then psychologically. You know, mentally, you've got to be so strong to to get through that at, at, the, at the top level. I chose to start by seeing whether you shared a wee sense of loss that I had when I heard the other day that Richie Benno had died. Mm. Because thinking back, aside from him being exceptionally good at his job, he was one of the voices of my childhood. Now I'm dramatically yeah. older than you, so if we listen to him, then we listen to him at different ages and different times. But did you listen to him? And, yeah. and when he went. Did it catch you and think, there's one of the greats? Go yeah, I, I absolutely did. And I, I, I'm not one of those people. When someone dies, I, I didn't, um, I don't tweet out about it. I know every, a lot of people do and I have no problem with it, but I tend not to because I, I think you probably be tweeting out about it every single day. But I absolutely love test cricket. I played cricket from the age of five through to well, 18 until um, the UT manager at United stopped me. And even now, I'm not a fan of 2020. I'm not a fan of 50 over cricket. I can, however, I can sit there for six, seven hours all day long, listening and watching. To not at times a lot happening, but the intrigue of it, the endurance of it, and obviously Richie Benno was an incredible commentator, um, a voice that you just seem to recognise um, if you're a great cricket fan, as I was, and you would never get tired of listening to him. And I think that, yeah, you look at he will be. 
probably the most memorable cricket commentator you think of voices in other sports that have sort of captured the imagination of everybody and you associate with that sport and that's I suppose in some ways makes me feel the responsibility of what I do because in football in professional football when I was a football player you'd think oh punditry or the pundits or the commentators you don't pay a lot of attention to them in some ways sometimes you even think well, I did that. No, we're the ones that are important. The managers, the coaches, the players. But actually, in terms of adding the colour to it for the for the people who are watching, the supporters, it's a vital job. It's a big responsibility because people think of the nineteen sixty six World Cup final goal and they remember the commentary over it as much as they actually do um, the goal. And they think of the Aguero goal and Martin's Aguero. And City fans have got that over their shirts. You think of in. Uh, 99, we always think, will Manchester United score? They always score. you know. And those lines make, give you a little tingle, particularly when you were part of it in 1999. And you think, uh, you know, commentary adds big moments to things. And the responsibility that, let's say, someone like Richie Benno had all those years um, doing what he did and f- filling all that space but never becoming tired of him. So it's a great responsibility, really, when you look at it. How much do you get in life that's reliable, regular, good for your sex life, and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these in their full form, and many more, are available if you search for the big interview on ACAST, that's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The big interview is the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv and there's a little box where you fill in your email address. If you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter. We're on Facebook, search for The Big Interview and GH Podcast on Twitter plus Instagram. Keep in touch. Let us know what you think. More soon, baby. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.